When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we examine Rome's famous Colosseum, a walk through ancient Roman history. As Stefania Pistone, our guide, leads us from the forum looming in front of us, there it is, the Colosseum. It's a deja vu experience for me, as the building seems ubiquitous given its many movie and architectural depictions. There are buildings inspired by it, such as Hitler's Congress Hall, started in 1935 and left unfinished at the Nazi Party Rally Grounds, which I recently visited in Nuremberg, Germany. And another favorite look-alike is Vancouver's Public Library in British Columbia, designed by Moshe Safdie and patterned on the Coliseum. And for old football fans like me, there's the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum's entrance, plus many more examples. In movies, the 2000 award winner Gladiator, directed by Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe as Maximus debuts in gladiatorial combat in the Coliseum in a battle reenactment, unexpectedly leading his side to victory. Thus, as we view this historic relic from both the inside and outside, the Colosseum exudes history. Stefania, from Eyes of Rome, a group of independent local expert guides, they call themselves storytellers, enables us to soak up her knowledge and enthusiasm as we tour. When Stefania was a child, her father regaled her with stories and anecdotes about the Colosseum and ancient Rome as they strolled amidst the Eternal City and she played in the Roman Forum. With her mother, they visited all of the churches looking for the most fascinating artwork and then went shopping in the city's intriguing markets. She explains to me that this is how she fell in love with Rome. She is a great asset to provide us with an enriched appreciation of this incredible site. The Oval Amphitheater in the center of Rome is a major tourist attraction. Built of travertine, tough, and brick-faced concrete, the largest amphitheater ever built just east of the Roman Forum. Construction began under Emperor Vespasian in 72 AD and was completed in 80 AD under Titus, his successor. Domitian, 81-86, made modifications, and the three emperors were known as the Flavian dynasty. Stefania asks us to imagine 50 to 80,000 spectators watching gladiatorial contests and public spectacles such as mock sea battles, animal hunts, executions, reenactments of famous battles as with Russell Crowe, and also dramas based upon classical mythology. Construction was funded from the spoils captured from the Jewish temple after the Great Jewish Revolt in 70 AD led to the Siege of Jerusalem. 
an estimated workforce of 100,000 Jewish prisoners were brought back to Rome after the war. Slaves undertook manual labor in quarries at Tivoli, where the travertine was sectioned and the heavy stones then transported 20 miles to Rome. The inaugural games were held in 80 AD, with 9,000 wild animals in the amphitheater. Gladiatorial fights are last mentioned around 435. In 1749, Pope Benedict XIV endorsed the view that the Colosseum was a sacred site where early Christians were martyred. Pollution and deterioration prompted major restoration between 1993 and up to 2000 at a cost of 40 billion Italian lira, or $19.3 million U.S. As we readily observe, the ruined state of the interior makes it impractical to use the Colosseum to host large events. Only a few hundred spectators can be accommodated in temporary seating. However, much larger concerts featuring the likes of Ray Charles, Paul McCartney, Elton John, and Billy Joel have been held just outside, using the Colosseum as a timeless backdrop. Stefania explained that unlike Greek theaters built into hillsides, the Colosseum is an entirely freestanding structure. It is 189 meters or 615 feet long and 156 meters or 510 feet wide with a base area of 24,000 square meters or 6 acres. The height of the outer wall is 48 meters or 157 feet. The perimeter originally measured 545 meters or 1,788 feet. The massive outer wall required over 100,000 cubic meters of travertine stone, which were set without mortar, held together by 300 tons of iron clamps, and we see their traces in the walls. Stefania showed us how the huge crowds would fill or evacuate quickly, much like modern stadiums. She walked us around entrances at ground level. 76 of the 80 entrances used by ordinary spectators, each numbered as was each staircase. The northern main entrance was reserved for the Roman emperor and his aides, and the other three for the elite, all four entrances richly decorated with painted stucco reliefs, of which some fragments still survive. Many outer entrances have disappeared with the collapse of the perimeter wall, but entrances 23 to 54, in Roman numerals of course, survive. Tickets in the form of numbered pottery shards directed spectators to a specific section and row. People sat in tiered arrangements reflecting Roman status. Special boxes were provided at the north and south ends respectively for the emperor and the vestal virgins, providing the best views of the arena. Flanking them at the same level was a broad platform or podium for the senatorial class, allowed to bring their own chairs. The names of some 5th century senators can be seen carved into the stonework, presumably reserving the areas for their use. The tier above the senators was occupied by the noble class or knights, next level up reserved for ordinary Roman citizens or plebeians, which was divided into two sections, the lower part for wealthy citizens and the upper part for the poor. A final level was added at the very top of the building during the reign of Domitian, a gallery for the poor, slaves, and women, standing room only or with very steep wooden benches. Some groups were banned from the Colosseum, notably gravediggers, actors, and former gladiators. 
A wooden floor was covered by sand, and the elaborate underground structure was called the hypogeum. Little remains of the original arena floor, but the hypogeum is clearly visible, consisting of two levels, a subterranean network of tunnels and cages beneath the arena where gladiators and animals were held before contests began. Eighty vertical shafts provided instant access to the arena for the caged animals and scenery pieces concealed underneath. Larger hinged platforms, called hegemata, provided access for the elephants. The Romans sure knew how to put on a show. We stare in awe at the remnants, trying to imagine what it was once like. The hypogeum was connected by underground tunnels to a number of points outside the Colosseum. Animals and performers were brought through the tunnel from nearby stables, with the gladiators' barracks located at the Ludus Magnus to the east also being connected by tunnels. Separate tunnels were provided for the emperor and the Vestal Virgins to permit them to enter and exit without needing to pass through the crowds. Stefania explained the machinery in the hypogeum. Elevators and pulleys raised and lowered scenery and props, as well as lifting caged animals to the surface for release. It was possible to flood the arena rapidly, presumably via a connection to a nearby aqueduct. However, the hypogeum soon put an end to the practice of flooding and also the naval battles. The Ludus Magnus had its own miniature training arena, which was itself a popular attraction for Roman spectators. Other training schools were in the same area, including the Ludus Mautinus, or morning school, where fighters of animals were trained. There was the Summum Coriagium, where machinery was stored, the Sanitarium, with facilities to treat wounded gladiators, and the Spoilarium, where bodies of the dead gladiators were stripped of their armor. I asked Stefania about the animals. She says that they utilized a variety of wild beasts, mainly imported from Africa and the Middle East, including creatures such as rhinoceroses, hippopotamuses, elephants, giraffes, aurochs or wild cattle, wisents or European bison, Barbary lions, panthers, leopards, bears, Caspian tigers, crocodiles, and ostriches. Battles and hunts were often staged amidst elaborate sets with movable trees and buildings. Such events were occasionally on a huge scale. Trajan is said to have celebrated his victories in Dacia in 107 with contests involving 11,000 animals and 10,000 gladiators over the course of 123 days. During lunch intervals, executions ad bestias would be staged. Those condemned to death were sent into the arena naked and unarmed to face the beasts, which literally tore them to pieces. Other performances by acrobats and magicians took place during the intervals. A fun day Roman outing indeed. In the Middle Ages, Stefania explained that the Colosseum was not regarded as a monument, but was used as a handy quarry, stones taken from the building for other sacred sites. Now Christian crosses stand in several points around the arena, and every Good Friday the Pope leads away of the cross, via crucis, procession to the amphitheater. Stefania was extremely knowledgeable, friendly, and with a great sense of humor and fun to be with, the characteristics of an ideal private guide. She studied art history at university, focusing on the conservation of cultural heritage, with a master's degree in industrial archaeology and yet another in didactics of pictorial disciplines. She could work as a teacher or a professor, 
but she loves guiding, a form of education itself. Check out the Eyes of Rome's website. You will be impressed, and I highly recommend their tours. To read my travel articles, go to my website at www.whattravelwriterssay.com. And for travel pictures, go to my Pinterest boards at www.pinterest.com backslash mustang6648. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today it's from Maya Angelou, who said, Perhaps travel cannot prevent bigotry, but by demonstrating that all peoples cry, laugh, eat, worry, and die, it can introduce the idea that if we try and understand each other, we may even become friends. Thanks for listening. Happy travels, and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.